0: we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, your Senior Pastor Dan Willis. So, how are you today? Wonderful. Are you wonderful? I, I'm glad to hear that, Bern. I mean, you, you just, you just makes my heart just thump, knowing that you're wonderful today. <laughs> and it's not just him. I hope all of you are. Uh, I, I'm, I'm glad to be back. I'm sorry I missed you last week, but uh, I heard that things went very, very well. I had the opportunity, my wife and I did, to go to Michigan, which I can't stand to do, by the way, but we did it. Uh, and uh, Michigan is like a whole... I don't, I don't even think it's the United States. It's, a different, it's like a different country. Uh, but if you like cold and snow, then it's for you, I suppose. Uh, but I found more than that, uh, the people in Michigan can't drive. It's a fact. It's been a fact from day one. It doesn't matter where you go in the United States, if somebody's holding back traffic, it's probably got a Michigan plate on it, on the car. Uh, anybody, anybody have similar experiences with me in that? A few, yeah. Anybody here from Michigan? Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, having said that, uh, we had the opportunity to go to a wedding uh, this, this past weekend, uh, one of our uh, uh, Rex players for a number of years ago uh, was in our home for the season. Um, and he's a great young man, became one of our, you know, our, our, actually our, our seventh child. And he will even tell you that today. Um, his parents know how, what an influence my wife and I had on him. And so at the wedding, I was shocked at the reception. We were, we were seated at their table. I couldn't believe it. Uh, so I thought that was kind of nice. Uh, and the fact is, um, he even told his wife, he says, this is my second parents. And I thought, wow, what an honor, you know, to have such a nice boy and, and to think that much of us. And got a great wife, going to have a great life. Uh, he's going to live in Michigan. I counsel him about that, but he's going to do it anyway. <laughs> you know, uh, anyway, anyway, but uh, just a nice young man. Uh, his parents couldn't have been nicer to us. And uh, friends, you know, um, what bonded us together was one thing. That was the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll never forget the day that um, I spoke to his father on the telephone, and he was absolutely hysterical, happy that Becky Boosey put his son in our home. And uh, we forged a friendship. And, uh, in fact, when the Rex would play and, and Patrick would come down and watch the games, he would stay at our house, too, and that was kind of nice. And so, anyway, it's just, you know, he knew what the bond was, and he knew how dangerous it was to have his son in a home that wasn't Christian. And, you know, and we all know, I mean, Becky will tell you, that she places players in homes that aren't Christian. Yeah? And, you know, and there, it's, it's, there's, there's an influence that Christianity gives that uh, the rest of the world doesn't understand. And, they, and they, they participate in things. They do things. They think a certain way. And, friends, maybe it's not all bad, but it isn't what's best. It isn't what's best. And God has for us what's best. You know, I, I, I have to tell you the truth. No matter what I do in life, if I go buy something, if I participate in something, you know, you always get a bunch of choices. There's the lower end, there's the middle of the road, and there's the best. Well, everybody wants the best, but we can't always afford the best, you see? So you you end up settling for either the least or because you don't want to look flashy, you take the middle of the road. And God says, listen, I want you to have the best. I had the very best for you, Okay. In, in in this thing called eternity, you want the best, I'm telling you. Okay? I want the best. Who in here wants the best today? Okay? This is what we're talking about. And God has that for us should we desire it. The problem with it is too many people in the church today, in the church, are willing to suffer mediocrity. They're willing to accept middle of the road. Or understand. I am not. Maybe I was at one time. You see, I thought, I remember how bad I was at one time, and I realized that Christ had cleaned me up, and I was a lot better than I used to be. But being better than you used to be is not where God wants you, is it? Where God wants you is the very, very best, not better than you were. Everybody can be better than they were but better than you were, is not good enough. Your responsibility is to be the best you can be. And God has that position available for you. And it's not so hard to get there. In this particular chapter, as we took a look at the life lessons from James, true Christianity versus false Christianity, it isn't really that difficult to understand. The problem with it is most people in the church today, I think, don't know the difference. And the reason we don't know the difference is because our hearts and minds aren't supplanted into the Word of God like they ought to be. And the Word of God is then not living in us like it ought to be. And so here's what we'll do. We will guess what true Christianity is and what it isn't. We will assume this is what it is and what it isn't. We will listen to other people and think that's what it is, or we'll follow traditions even in the church to say... This is Christianity, when in fact, it may not be. But here's the beauty. You don't have to do that. You can go right. You don't have to listen to what a pastor says and just bank on it. You have the responsibility to test it, what's being said. I invite you. In fact, I'm more than that. I don't just invite you. I'm telling you that the the Bible, the Word of God, commands you to test what I'm saying. Okay, I want you to do that. Every pastor who's a Christian pastor ought to desire that. Amen? Okay, so open the Word of God. Open the Word of God. Open the Word of God and spend time there, and God will show you. And, and listen, if I say something that doesn't make sense to you, if I say something that you think isn't exactly what the Bible's saying, tell me. Any pastor, tell them. If you hear something on the radio, call them up and tell them. Because if, if they're really a Christian and of God, they will desire that. Most of the time, I think it's a misunderstanding of what was said. But sometimes it has been taught. It's heresy. So we have to make sure, friends, that we're holding one another accountable. The Bible not only defends that, it promotes it. Amen? So, true Christianity versus false Christianity. James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 I'm going to read it to you today from the CSB, which is the Christian uh, Standard, okay? Christian Standard Bible. Listen carefully. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless, and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this. Now notice the words here: pure an undefiled religion translates to Christianity I'll show you that in a minute okay pure and undefiled okay before God the Father is this to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself get this unstained from the world to keep yourself unstained from the world now here's a question how many of you think that sometimes or even in your past maybe even now on occasion you feel like you're stained by the world. You see, being in the world and not of it is hard to do sometimes. And it's not that it's really difficult to make those decisions. The problem with it is we don't like to stand out against everybody. We don't like to be the odd people out. We want to kind of be, you know, fly under the radar, go with the flow, uh, be the one that, you know, kind of goes with everybody and no one looks down upon you or thinks badly of you or whatever. We all want to be liked. Nobody likes controversy. I mean, some people say they do. I, I, I think over time they wouldn't. You know, nobody really honestly wants to be the lightning rod for that stuff. I think some people relish it. But by and large, we don't. And I believe that the enemy is so good at making us believe that. That rather than stand for the truth, we'll just keep our mouth shut. We might not agree with being done, what's being done and said, but won't say anything. Friends, that's a travesty. It's a travesty because, number one, you're disobeying God. And that, then you, now you got to confess. You've got to confess it and change it. See, a lot of people, I think there's another factor we can get into. We might confess something, but we don't change it. Well, forgiveness doesn't come unless you change it. Amen? Can't keep doing it over and over and over again. you got to confess it and then change it. Amen? So God can restore you, yes? Okay? So clearly, James is telling us, look here, okay? There's a problem in the church today. He describes two kinds of religion regarding Christianity. One is true, which is being pure and undefiled, and the other is false. Now, how many of you today really believe that you're following a true Christianity? Come on. Who thinks today that you might be following a false Christianity? See, nobody's going to raise their hand. If you do, there's something wrong with you, right? If you know you're following a false Christianity, the question remains, why are you, right? So no one thinks they are. In fact, I believe that most people in the Christian church... Now, we're not talking about unbelievers here, because James is writing to believers, understood? He's not writing to unbelievers. He's talking to those who believe in Jesus Christ. And he's saying, listen, you can have a false religion. Most Christians think, well, I go to church. I mean, grandma and grandpa prayed for me. You know, I've been a Christian all my life. And that doesn't make you a true Christian. That's stunning, isn't it? Do you know how many people in the church today believe that because they attend church, or they have for a long time, or maybe they they believe in Christ, that that's all is necessary? They believe that's true Christianity right there. It is not. Never has been. But this is what they think. So the first question is, (laughs) how does our Christianity become defiled and false? Because that's what false Christianity is, defiled and false. And the second is, how can we keep it undefiled and true? I mean, doesn't everybody, shouldn't you want to know that? Shouldn't every person hearing this want to know how to keep it true and undefiled versus false? I would think so. Perhaps a more difficult, because the first two are easily answered, but the third one, maybe not. Maybe a more difficult question is, how can I know the difference? I think that's the problem. I think most people in the church today don't understand or believe that they're following a false Christianity. I know that, friends, because through my travels of being involved in the community with different things, um, I run into a lot of people from other churches, work with other people from other churches, love a lot of them, love, love, I mean, become good friends with me, okay? And once in a while, they'll be looking for churches. And once in a while, they'll run into me, and I'll say, well, you know, you're always welcome at Free Life, but they never come. And I'll, I'll ask them, why, why, didn't you, why didn't you try us out? Well, you know, I don't know. Well, yeah, you do know. And so now what I'm doing is saying, no, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm a little bit too much for you. Maybe you really don't like to hear the truth. You say you do, but maybe you really don't. Have you thought of that? Well, I, I you know. So what is it that I have said in Emmaus or someplace else where you heard me speak that you didn't like? What is it you didn't like that I said? And before you answer that, let me ask you this. Did it go against Scripture? Well, no. Then what's the problem? If it didn't go against Scripture, what did it go against? And why didn't you like it? You see, people do not like their comfortability changed or compromised. And it proves my theory that we would rather live a lie than stand for the truth. We'd rather live a lie than stand for the truth. Friends... That's going to get you into hot water, literally, pretty quick. And why would we do that? I'm not interested in that. And I believe you're here today because you're not interested in that. So we're going to have to find out what true Christianity is, keep ourselves undefiled, and go out and teach others what it is. Amen? That's what we're going to have to do. And that's exactly what James is talking about. So before we can do that, we have to answer a question, number one, basically, what is a false religion? I mean, what, what really is false religion or false Christianity in this case? Because they, they translate the same. You understand? Is, isn't Christianity a religion? Okay. And that's the only one we're talking about here because that's the one James is saying. So religion and Christianity in this case are one and the same. You understand? Okay. So what is it? Well, dictionaries define religion as this, the belief in and worship of a superhuman controlling power, especially a personal God or God's, a particular system of faith and worship, a pursuit or interest to which someone ascribes supreme importance. Okay, I'll buy that. I think it's lacking, but I understand where the definers are coming from. Now, it can clearly be the worship or belief in any kind of religious system, and there's an awful lot of them out there, but it has to do with a deity or God of some type, God with a small g, you understand? It's a deity or a God of some type. Now, Paul is obviously talking about the one religion that we are to observe and we are observing, and that, my friends, is Christianity, which is obviously the worship of God the Father, Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Is that not true? Isn't that what Christianity is? Okay. So, what church out there today doesn't believe that? Well, if they're a Christian church, they believe in those things. It doesn't matter if you're if you're over here at Maryland, if you're over here at The Journey, if you're over here at St. Pat's or, or any other church that's in our area. Those are Christian churches. Doesn't matter what name's on the door, doesn't matter what denomination they're from, or they're an independent. That's a Christian belief system, and they all believe that. Amen? Okay. So we're talking about the same thing: God the Father, Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all together. It's the Trinity. Now, Christianity then centers on the idea that all of us are lost. It centers on the fact that we all of us are lost. All people's are lost. And all of us needed a savior to bring us back to the Father. Is that not true? Okay? And this is accomplished by Jesus the Son. Yes? Okay. Does any of those churches I just mentioned disbelieve that? No. We all agree that that's what it is. Does it matter if it's Wesleyan or independent or Roman Catholic or Lutheran or United Methodist or free Methodist? Does it matter? No. Do we all believe that? Yes. Fundamentally, we do. Okay? So that, my friends, is Christianity. The problem now comes when we start to twist what what the behavior of our belief system is. You understand that? Okay, so this is what we have to look at. The Jews thought that true religion consisted in, by traditionalism. Okay? In fact, in Matthew 15, 1 to 2, it's, Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, I, I, you know, I think you ought to wash your hands before you eat. But I don't think you're going to go to hell for it. Right? Okay? So, friends, this is happening in two ways. One, we're so legalistic and caught up in rules and regulations and liturgical practices and tradition. And that's happened, hasn't it? In fact, it happened here. Right here in this church, it happened. Okay? And it happened in every church that I've ever been involved in in some way or another. Yes or no? Okay, we get caught up in the, litur- the liturgy or liturgical part of what it is. I had one gal tell me one time, you know, uh, complained about the way we took communion. She said, I, I can't believe that. I can't believe you take communion by taking the bread and dipping it in the juice and blah, blah, blah. I said, why not? Because that's not the way you take communion. It's not? No. Well, how do you do it? Well, you have to have the little cup and a wafer, and you've got to take it take them at different times. You do? Uh-huh. I said, okay. Well, that's probably not in there. You're right, it's not. (laughs) So why are we talking about here? So you learned it where? Well, that's how our church does it. Well, you're not in our church today. You're in God's church, okay? And I can tell you, you want to really go back. That's how they did it right there. The intention is how they did it. That's how they did it. And if you really want to get wonky, okay, uh, we need to throw the grape juice out and go get wine now. Okay, if you really want to get... (laughs) (laughs) Come on, bring it home. Bring it home. (laughs) 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 God, the DS is not here today. Okay. (laughs) However, this is the key, okay? It doesn't matter what's in the chalice, and it doesn't matter. What you take it with? Neither. I mean, bread and wine were the commonality and that's why Jesus used them. It's clear the scripture says it. It was what was common to mankind. And you you couldn't drink water back then, it probably would have been used. But here's the deal, okay? Friends, the fact is, what are you doing when you do it? That's the key, isn't it? It's remembering who Jesus is and what he did for you and making it personal. So it isn't traditional things that make your religious practice. It doesn't matter how we do it. Again, I told you before, I knew a youth pastor one time that used Oreos and Mountain Dew to do communion. And and you know why? Because that's all he had and the kids wanted to do it and he thought, I'm going to go for it. I I personally probably wouldn't do it, but the fact is, I'm not against that. If that's what was the commonality and that's what was there, it's why they did it and the purpose for it. Okay? Now, you're not going to come in here one day and find crushed Oreos and Mountain Dew in the chalice. It ain't going to happen. Unless that's all there is out there, and then maybe we would. But it's the heart of the matter, okay? It isn't, you know, how we do it. So I don't know who brought up the the wafer in the cup. I, I don't get it. But that's how we did it for years, so everybody just thinks that that's it. No, it's not. I really don't care how you do it. I don't care. I just want to take it. I don't care how we do it, right? And isn't that what's important? And this is what, what, you know, James is trying to say. Now, here's the other thing. Number two, we've gone so completely the other way from legalism that our idea of religion is whatever we want it to be. See this? This This is dangerous. It's dangerous. Whatever we want it to be. Anything goes as long as we're a nice person. We go to church and we accept anything and everything people want to do. That, friends, is what Christianity today is in most places. Just accept people for who they are and whatever they want to do. Because don't you know that love is acceptance of sinful activity? That's what they're going to tell you. That's what they're saying. It's all over uh, CNN. It's, it's all over Yahoo. Every time I bring it up and people start talking about religion and Christianity, this is what they will say. Well, if you really love me, you would just accept me for who I am. And that includes whatever I want to be. Well, no, it doesn't. You can think it all you want, but that's not in here, never been in here, and no true Christian believes that. But neither should we be Pharisaical and start putting rules and regulations that make absolutely no difference whatsoever. You understand? This is, we, we have misconstrued and misunderstood what Christianity is for so long that we've either given people a false hope or we've turned them off completely. Friends, we got to find what I call, get this, the sweet spot. You ever, you ever heard of that, the sweet spot? The sweet spot can be used in baseball. It can be used in, in, when you're, uh, in, in engineering, when you're putting things together. But the sweet spot for me, spiritually, is exactly where it ought to be when it comes to Christ. Exactly. You know, there are certain things in life that don't matter how you do them. There are certain things that absolutely matter how you do them. And this is what we need to find out. So, Jesus taught... That true religion consisted, get this, of an inner purity leading to an outward obedience. Did you grasp that? An inward purity that leads to an outward obedience. Matthew 15, 3, 7, 9, and 23, uh, 25 to 26. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and in self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Now, what Jesus was trying to say is real simple. What Jesus was trying to make us understand, friends, is that people then and today want to believe that they're Christians, and so they want to identify with Christ. And I get that. But they pick and choose the parts of Christianity that they want to believe and then practice. You cannot. I mean, it'd be great if we could do that, because we'd all be happy campers, wouldn't we, and still get heaven? We wouldn't hardly disagree on anything, because it wouldn't matter. But Jesus is talking about the gate here, okay? He's talking about the gate, and one of them is wide and one of them is narrow. I'm going to talk about that in a minute, okay? Yes, Jesus loves everyone. He loved them even then. He loves everyone. I get that. But don't confuse love, okay, with obedience. You can't. He didn't accept their sinfulness. He never did. But today, they believe and teach that he did that. If you love someone, you will let them do whatever they want. Well, friends, if you love someone, are you going to let them continue to do things that's going to send them straight to hell? Well, according to the people today, you will. That's that's their argument. You see, we want to put love with acceptance of sin because we're trying to teach that if we accept the person, then we have to accept whatever they do. Jesus didn't do that. You, you can find not one, and I challenge them every time, show me in there where Jesus accepted the sin, not the person, the sinfulness, okay? Now, again, people say, well, you know, the Bible says love the sinner and hate the sin. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It, it, it doesn't say that anywhere, okay? And people are shocked when they find that to be true. But the concept is there. The concept of what Jesus said is there. We must love the person and not their sinfulness. Can you love the person and and not accept their sinfulness? Yes. He did it for me, for crying out loud. You? He accepted the person, but not the sinfulness. And he said, but I want you to change it. Okay? And so I began to go on this journey of change. Anybody? And I'm delighted with the changes. You see, friends, you don't have to accept the sinfulness of the person. This is false. Again, remember, Jesus forgave two women. Didn't he? He told them both to stop sinning, and he meant right now. Right? Didn't he? The woman at the well, the adulterous woman, didn't he tell them, stop right now? Didn't he say, stop, sin no longer? I forgive you. I don't condemn you. However, stop what you're doing and change it right now. Yes or no? Okay. Did he accept their sinfulness? Did he accept them? Yeah. But he also says that one day you will be rejected. Okay? This is what we have to understand. People don't want to believe they're going to be rejected. Because a loving God wouldn't do that. More to come on that. You see, this is what Christ requires. A lifestyle change, a mind change, and then, guess, guess what? A heart change. Right? A heart change. Remember, he also told us not to associate with sinful people. You didn't know that, right? Jesus says, do not associate with sinful people, those that refuse to change their lifestyle. How many of you didn't know that? You didn't know that? Listen carefully. 1 Corinthians 5, 11 to 12. Now, this is Paul, okay, but who who was in the Apostle Paul? Christ met him on the road to Damascus, yes. Okay, and what did he do? imparted his spirit into him and taught him everything that he taught the disciples in three years. Paul learned that and more, didn't he? Okay, listen carefully. I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler, do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Now, this is clear, okay? You can't go outside the church and judge people outside because God will have to judge them. We can judge that they're not in the church. That's clear, but you can't judge where they're going to go. Only God can do that. But listen to this. Are you not to judge those inside? Yes, we are. But the Internet and everybody I know say, you can't judge me. False. Right here it is. Okay? God will judge those outside, expel the, the wicked person among you. You are to judge the sinfulness or the fruitfulness of those within the church. Period. And when someone wants to tell me, when I say to them, you know, that's sinful activity. You shouldn't be doing that. If you're going to claim to be a Christian, you can't be doing this. Or you can't judge me. Oh, y- uh, yes, I can. And I, not only can I, I must. Right there it is. Okay? So, you know, here, here's how I look at it. People want to believe what they want to believe. Yeah. And so we will make up anything we can to justify it within our own hearts. Even if we can't get other people to buy into it. Well, we want to do it here. Because then we can just go merrily along. You see? God, God, God gives. He gives no such. I I I'm at a loss for words when people tell me that. I, I can't. God doesn't allow that. Now, two things. One, yes, I know this is the Apostle Paul, but since Jesus taught him by the power of the Spirit, it's the same thing as Christ saying it, and we can't get past that. If Paul said it, it's because God wouldn't have put it in here or allowed it in here if it weren't true, if it didn't come from him. Yes or no? Then when people say that you can't say, do it unless Jesus said it, it doesn't matter. It's in the Word. It's just like him saying it, because he is saying it. He put it there. Okay? Second. He not only tells us not to to tolerate anyone who claims Christianity but lives contrary to the word of God, he also tells us you must judge them. But remember, most Christians will tell you we can't judge, and yet here it is in black and white. If someone claims to be a Christian, it's your responsibility and your command, okay, to judge sinful activity and practices within the church. It absolutely is. Write it down, friends. There's the scripture. Write it down. When someone tells you, no, 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 tell them, Then how, how, how do you take this then? Then they're going to go back and say, well, Jesus didn't say it. Yes, he did. Or it wouldn't be there. Isn't he the one who put, put himself in the, the Apostle Paul? Yes. You can go right back to it and prove it. Okay. But Jesus didn't, didn't end there. He went a little bit further. Okay. He said that being a true Christian isn't popular. He said, being a true Christian isn't popular, and it isn't easy, and that's why, it's not very, or that's why not very many people do it, okay? It isn't easy and isn't popular, and that's why not very many do it. Listen to this, friends, Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are very few who find it. Did you understand that? You know, friends, we, we make this harder to understand than it is. This is a lot easier to understand than we want to say it is. You see, the wide gate is going to be wide open. Wide open. Why? Because more people are going to go through it. That's why. You've got to have a wider gate for more people, Yeah unbelievers and those who claim to be Christian but didn't live by the commands of God will go through it like cattle. That's what Jesus is trying to say. This is Jesus talking now, okay? They'll go through it like cattle, and a few will be diverted to the narrow gate. A few will be diverted to the narrow gate. It will only be those who didn't compromise like the others did. It will be those who live with an inner purity and those who were completely obedient. It will be those who called out sinful behavior and stood on the word of God, no matter what the crowd says. That's, that's who's going to be diverted to the narrow gate. The narrow gate is narrow, not because God doesn't want many, very many in, but it only needs to be that big because no, very few are going to go. A very few are going to go to the narrow gate. Most everybody's going to run to the wide gate. Most There was a time in our nation's history where they probably wouldn't have believed that. But today, I absolutely believe it. I mean, I can see it. It's obvious. Here's what gets me the most. This is what just crushes me. I know that unbelievers outside the church who want nothing to do with Christianity are going to go in that gate. Everybody knows that. But here's the thing. As we're all going and we get diverted to the small gate, people that I know who live say they're Christians who go to churches and maybe even here for all I know are going to go we can't hang on to them because they're going to go there because that's where they have to go because they didn't friends you know people like that every single one of you knows somebody that's probably going to go in the wide gate do something about it not tomorrow not next week now and if somebody were to jump up from their pew right now because God convicted them and run out to go grab hold of that person and mill this message, I'd be like, "But you better be sure that's what you're doing." If you jump up out of here, <laughs> right? Did you know that considering yourself religious is worthless? It doesn't matter what you consider. We don't want to believe that either, because don't you know it matters what I think? If you believe something religious that isn't true, it reveals an inner corruption within you. Jesus himself said it. Matthew 12, 34 and 35, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. That's Christ. It's also disobedience toward the command of God. Did you hear that? To consider yourself religious is disobedience. Matthew 12, 36 and 37, but I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken, for by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you'll be condemned. Did you know that? How many of you knew that was there? Let me explain it. Why is it true? Because God is God and he alone is God. And not only that, God alone is good. Jesus said so. Why do you call me good? Only God is good. If God is the only one that's good, and Jesus himself wouldn't even call himself that, how can I call myself a good Christian? How can I consider myself to have great religion? See, it's changing all the time within me. I, that, because if I say I'm a good Christian, then guess what? I'm not changing every day. I've plateaued and stayed, and I, I've considered this good. But there's always better, isn't there? Paul says, "I press on toward the goal. I have not yet reached it, but I aspire to it." He knows. He didn't call himself good. He knew. He knew his. He in fact he said uh, he reiterated that his Christianity could be filthy rags. And, and, you know, and here's the thing. We, here's what we'll do. We'll, we'll look at other people that we think are better spiritually than we are, and we aspire to that. Don't. They're just an example. Christ is where you want to go. Right? Well, I can't be like him. Yes, you can. See, that's what the devil gets you. Well, see, you can't be perfect anyway. You, you'll never... Wrong. That's not true. God never said that. You see, friends... God alone sets the standards of right and wrong, acceptable and unacceptable. And God alone determines if one is guilty or blameless. Yet, we're living in a society that believes that it itself can determine these things. We're living in a society that thinks it can determine what's acceptable and unacceptable, and they're doing it every day. You know what's acceptable today? Stuff that we wouldn't have dreamed of doing 20 years ago. That's what's acceptable. You know what's unacceptable? Christianity. Christianity. Righteousness, that's unacceptable because you're a bigot and a hater because you won't accept the behavior, civil behavior of people. So that's unacceptable. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, we are passing laws in states right now that will get you in trouble for being a Christian. Okay? Bully laws. I'm not kidding. Friends, who's behind that? Who's doing that? Who's convincing those people? Paul says in Galatians, who has bewitched you? He says, you foolish Galatians. You could say, you foolish Christians. Who has bewitched you? Hmm. Do you know that there are even people in the religion of Christianity that are doing this? Luke 6:45 in the contemporary English version, "Good people do good things because of the good in their hearts, and bad people do bad things because of the evil in their hearts." It's a different way of saying it, but I like it. Your words show what's in your heart. They sure do. In other words, you can believe whatever you want. Did you hear me? You can believe whatever you want, and you will. But what you believe is what's in your heart, okay? You'll live that way, you'll practice that way, and you'll talk that way. And when you defend counterfeit religion based on opinion, feelings, the popular idealism, or even out of love, then you are doing nothing more than condemning yourself. And yes, I added love in there. At first, I had love in there, I took it out. I put it in, I took it out. But in the end, I have to put it there. I have to put it there because out of love, we make poor decisions. Out of love, we make poor decisions. And out of love in our minds for somebody, we accept poor behavior and sinful activity. You can't, and we'll do it in the name of love, and we can't because God doesn't. And when you do it, friends, you're doing nothing more than condemning yourself. Did you know that? And the reason is that the Bible teaches that true love would only speak the truth. True love will only speak the truth. And didn't Jesus truly love? And what did he speak exactly? Only the truth. True love would call out sin. It would refuse to accept sin. It would refuse to compromise or tolerate it. And it would definitely tell people, When they're sinful, Jesus did. He said, stop it. And this is why James says, you think you're religious, but you've deceived yourself, and your religion is worthless. Why? Because it won't save you, and it won't save those who are practicing it either. Will it? And only those who honor the Father through the Son with their obedience are going to be saved. The Father and the Son, get this, are always in agreement. But here's what we'll do in the church. People say, well, I'm a New Testament Christian. I'm a, I'm a Jesus person. Well, good for you. Me too. But don't you dare demonize the Father because he's the one that's going to pass judgment. Mm-hmm. But that's exactly what they're doing. I'm just a Jesus person. I'm just a Jesus person. What, 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 where's God in this whole thing? Well, you know, he's harsh. Maybe if you get to know him, you'll find out it's not true. Again, the father and son are always in agreement. And if you friends don't understand that you are an enemy of God. Period. And you wouldn't want to be that. Nobody will. No, they, they claim they do, but they, they trust me when I say they don't. Okay. Now Jesus proved to us that the right is always worth it. The right way of thinking is always worth it. He came and died defending it. Otherwise, the Father would have accepted sinful activity and practice, which he didn't, based solely upon his love for the people. Do you understand that? God, if if, if there wasn't going to be judgment, God would have accepted all sinful activity solely on his love for humankind. He would have. But in the end, he does not, does he? Okay? As it is, he didn't, and he sent Jesus to teach us the truth and to redeem those who would accept it. Friends, I can't put it any more clearer than that. God doesn't accept simple activity. And if love was enough, he would have. Amen? We're going to get back to that again here momentarily. Secondly, let's look at a true and undefiled religion, which is Christianity. You see, religious practice is obedient and it pleases God. That's what it is. If you're going to have an undefiled religion, it'll be a practice that's obedient and pleases God. That's Christianity. That's the only religion out there that's going to do that. Do we need to repeat that? Christianity, you, again, you can believe whatever you want. The world can believe whatever it wants. Churches can teach and believe whatever they want. But the fact is, if you want to look at Christianity, when look at the Bible, Christianity is the only religion that will please God. It's the only one. It's the only one. Look at them. Do do Muslims please God? No. Does Buddhism please God? Does Hinduism? Does atheism? What are we talking about here? But the society will tell you that they do. Society will tell you that they do. And when I was told uh, six years ago, when I was asked to pray uh, on the, the courthouse steps, I refused when they told me I couldn't say it in Jesus' name. I said, well, skip you. I'm doing it. Well, no, you're not. I am. Well, what if there's Muslims out there? Well, <laughs> they need to know who Jesus is, don't they? Okay, so I'm going to say it. I was told I couldn't do it at the Rex games either. I was told I had to pray a certain prayer. And I said, well, Craig, I can't do it. I understand you don't want, I, listen, I know pastors are mouthy. I get it. I know we start praying and we never know, game might not start. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> but here's what I can't do. I'm sure some can do it, but I can't. I can't just have somebody hand me a prayer and say, read this. Well, you could have anybody do that. If I'm going to pray, it's going to come from here, what God puts in here. I can't participate in those other things, sorry. Because my prayers are real. And I know who I'm praying to, and I know why. You know, friends, I, I, if, if, if I'm chastised, or uh, so be it. So here's a question. So how does one please God? Now, I mean, that's a fair question, isn't it? Does anybody ever get up and wonder how I'm going to please God today? Have you ever done that? I wonder how I'm going to please God today. Huh? Here's a question. Do you think the society as a whole is pleasing God? Well, it shouldn't be that difficult then. Go opposite the society. I mean, that's kind of a four-way of looking at it, but in many respects, that's exactly what you have to do. Do you think the church as a whole is pleasing God? Okay, why not? I mean, if you're going to say that, why not? My guess is a whole host of things are going to come up in your mind. You're going to be like, oh, okay. Do you know that we have to do good and remain unstained from the world? I had to put that in there as a point because I don't think that we understand what that means. We we, we know what doing good is, we think. But remaining unstained? See, we all have good intentions of not being stained. Uh, And and maybe I can't equate it this way, I'm going to. You know, uh, my grandmother, bless her heart, uh, she was, uh, you know, in her 80s, and, but it didn't matter how old she was. I every time she would eat, she always got something on her, on her shirt. That woman, she dribbled something all the time. And she'd say, I can't believe it. And we're all like, well, we can believe it. We can do it every time. <laughs> right? Right? It dribbled, it, you know? It's funny, too, and, and I, I never dribble stuff on my shirt. But when I do it, I think, oh, gosh, who's done it? I can't eat watermelon dribbling on my shirt. Right? And this is the time for watermelon, anybody? So I got some on my shirt the other day. I'm like, are you serious? You know, it's like, it's like, you want to slap yourself, okay? You meant to be unstained when you're out there, but Lord help you, it just dribbled out. There it is, <laughs> right? And you know, it's always right there in the middle where everybody can see it. And that's the first thing to look at. Oh, you're walking, people are looking at the stain on your shirt. And you're self-conscious about it. And I began to think about it. What if I would be self-conscious about the stains in my life? Oh, what what if we could get the church to the point that all Christians would be so self-conscious about the stains in their lives that the world did? Boy, I'll tell you something. we We would change like this. It would be rapid. See, we can't hardly wait. Some of us will stop what we're doing and go buy a new shirt and change in the car. We'll go in, try to clean it up. You know it doesn't always come out. In fact, it almost never does. And it looks a little better. But it's there. even if people can't see it, you know it's there. Okay? But, and, and we think that way about these, these, these physical stains. But what about the things in your life? What about the Christian, the, the Christian stains? What about those things? You clean them up, and they look pretty good, but they're still there. Others might not see them, but you do. You know they're there. And what God is asking you to do is, is let Him clean it. Get it out all together, because if you did that, oh my, that would change everything, you see. This is what we're talking about, and we have to say, okay, so it goes back to two things. One, what does God say is good? And second, what does God say is unstained from the world? See, it doesn't matter what you think, it doesn't matter what society says, God says Unstained is one thing we think it's something else because we want it to be. You see, these are really simple. The problem is we don't want to go to the standard. And when we do, we want to make our own interpretation of the standard. You know what the standard is? My guess is everybody in here has got one of these today, either in your position or on your phone. Does anybody not have one on their phone? Who, Who doesn't have the Word of God on their phone? Who doesn't have it? Uh, John, get a picture of these people and help them download the app before they leave here today. <laughs> I told you I'd make them do it, Jonathan. I wasn't kidding. Here it is. You can have it right now at your fingertips. Our app has... I, I, don't, I don't know that there's one missing. about any Bible you ever want is on our app. Yes or no? Is it? Yeah. Yeah. There it is. No excuses. I'm done with excuses. We don't have any. You know, maybe the journey does. Maybe... Uh, the free Methodist church, I don't know, but we don't. We have no excuse, because we have it. This right there. Everybody in here has the word of God if they want it, and if not, and you know, here, I'll make another deal with you, okay? If you don't have a Bible at home, you pick one, the pew and take it with you. I mean it, I'm dead serious, and I'll, I'll buy new ones myself. If you don't have a scripture, you take that one. And if you don't really don't like that one, you come and see me. and you can't afford one, I'll take it down at a Bible bookstore, or I'll order one, we'll get you one. I will do it. Everybody in here needs to have it, and I don't want the excuse to be, well, I don't have one. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. We ain't playing that game here. So you know what, friends? This is what we have to do. We have to say, look, we've got to go to the standard. He also says that we're to take care of widows and orphans, and this means a lot of things, but basically, the church has been wrong for many years on this subject. Now, I, listen, I know that people get upset when I say that the church has been wrong, but it has. The church has been wrong. And I, I, I had to sit down and talk with Joanne Lyon, who's a, uh, you know, she's not our general superintendent anymore. But for years and years and years she was. And she and I were good friends. And I told her, I said, Joanne, you know what the problem is? And she, she got all quiet. She put her spoon down. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, it's almost like she thinks Dan's going to give her this profound statement. And uh, she said, tell me what it is. I said, Joanne, our problem in the Wesleyan church is this. And she got, and she was she, intently looking at me. It's like the wheels were turning. Joanne's like that. She, 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 she doesn't think she knows at all. She wants to know what the pastors think. She wants, if you're going to tell her something that's profound, like she thinks profound, she wants to hear it. So I'm, here, here's a pastor going to tell her what's wrong with the Westing Church. And as a general superintendent, that's kind of important to know. Here's our problem, Joanne. We're not teaching our pastors to pastor the church of today. And she looked at me and she sat back. And I just let it soak in for a minute. And so while she was, like, almost gone, and I said, here's the problem. Even today, we're teaching our pastors how to pastor the church of yesterday, not this one. And we need to be teaching them the one for tomorrow because that one's gone. That that, that one's not there anymore. It's been gone for a long time. And we're not teaching them to be pastors either. We're teaching them how to uh, be pacifiers. That's what we're teaching them, be pacifiers. Because churches are determining what kind of pastor they want so they're not challenged. So they can do what they want to do, how they want to do it, okay? So we can't question how we do communion. Remember we talked about that? We won't question that. We wouldn't dream of dragging the organ out of the church and get rid of it. Never, never mind, it's no longer relevant. Look, and, and she stopped for a minute and she said, I know it. And she was almost afraid to say she knew it. You know why? Because I was going to say, well, what are we going to do about it? And she didn't have an answer for that. But she led me to believe that she had a plan and there were things they were going to do. I pray that they have. Because, friends, <laughs> we're late in the game here, okay? We're in the bottom of the ninth here, I'm telling you, okay, if you're baseball people. We're in the bottom of the ninth. And, and listen, we don't, we don't have a pinch hitter. We don't have a bench player. We're going to suck it up and do it. We're it. Okay? There's no choice in this. And the church has been getting things wrong. And let me tell you why. You see, every single interview I've ever gone on as a pastor, the same question was always asked, are you a good visiting pastor? And the answer was no, I'm not. But I'll, I'll do it, but no, I'm not. And I've had churches go, well. See, it's not my job to visit. That's part of my job. But some churches, that's all they want from their pastor is to visit. My question is, who among you is visiting? Who who in the congregation is visiting? You see, we've been teaching pastors that that's their job and not the congregation's job. That's false. Nowhere in there will you find that. You'll never find in here, in any chapter that says, the pastor does the visitation. You won't find it. Believe me, I searched. Let <laughs> me sure what I'm talking about. And, and we're just now beginning to teach our pastors coming out that visitation has to be taught to the congregation, because you can't visit them all. You can't do it. That's what small groups are supposed to do. Small groups and the people are, become a, 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 a cohesive group, and when something happens, those are the people that, that descend upon those that need it. That's who does it. You will literally wear your pastor out if that person does it all the time. You will. And we're too busy visiting versus spending time here and doing this. That's been said for years and years and years, and we know it now. We now know it. See, only one person in the church is going to bring the vision and the word to the people. And that's what they need to spend the majority of their time doing. That's a fact. But everybody in here can visit. Not all of you could come up here. I could say, hey, I'll tell you what. I'll prove it. We're starting uh, next Sunday, Jay, you're going to rotate with me, and you're going to be here. And the following week, it's going to be Bob. and he don't have a problem with that. And the following week, it's going to be Mary. And she probably don't have a problem with that either. Then you're going to get to Judy, and then you're going to get to Zach, and they're going to be like, "Ah, uh, ain't happening. Huh? And some of you are like, yeah, I, I could do it. But most of you are like, and the congregation is going to be like, yeah, but that person's not called to do that. No, they're not. No, they're not. So why don't we have the person that's called to do that, doing that, bringing quality messages that you can actually do something with, and to do that, they've got to spend time in the Word and spend time with God, knowing what to bring to you, okay? And then the other things that others can do, we need to teach them to do that. Yes? That's how the early church did it, and that's how it ought to be done now, okay? Look at the early church. Did Peter and James go take care of the widows? No! No, they appointed somebody to do it. Yes? Did they? And they said, we need to do what? We need to focus on preaching and teaching the word. And that alone. And we will appoint people to do these other things. So what happened? Where in the, in, in the Church of North America did we say the pastor's got to go visit people and, and drink coffee and eat pie? Not that that's a bad thing. I like pie and I like coffee and I like your, your, you know, your uh, friendship. But friends, it ain't about that. It ain't about that. Now, if you need your pastor and you need you're in the hospital, or or, are you, am I gonna go? Yes. But for people to say, well, I've been in this church for 10 years and the pastors only come there once. Really? Is that what it's about to you? See, we 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 we've messed this up. We've messed up what this is supposed to be. And the fact of the matter is, (laughs) the pastor can't visit for you any more than he can get saved for you. He, He can't be done. And he can't become righteous for you. You see, basically, when a church puts the onus of visitation and service on the pastor, they're living their Christianity by proxy. And obviously, this isn't possible. But this is what we've taught People, and this is a requirement in a pastoral interview, I'm telling you. And I will never forget in a class at Indiana Wesleyan when I was in the class. I wasn't teaching it. And and we brought this up, and it was said, and I can't remember who said it. And, and there was a very, and the professor was Dr. Wayne Caldwell, who's a tremendous, brilliant man. And, and he got silent for a minute, and he sat down, and, and we were just like... <laughs> What's was with him. Finally, he stood up and he said, you know what? You guys are right. We've been doing this wrong. And I'm going to call headquarters and tell them we've been doing it wrong. And he did. You see, but getting churches to understand that is very difficult to do because they want what they want. That's who they are. Friends, here's a question. <laughs> what is unstained from the world? Well, you're not going to know what it is unless you learn it, okay? You're not going to know what it is unless you're in here or someone's expositing it to you. That's why this is so important. That's why we spend so much time training pastors on exposition of the word. And if that's what we're training them to do, that's what they ought to be doing, okay? Not that we shouldn't visit. I'm not saying that. But let's put things in perspective, okay? And then here's another question. What's the world? I mean, honestly, what's the world and then what's in unstained? I mean, you, you can't know what unstained by the world is unless you know what the world is and what unstained is. You, you can't put them together unless you know what they are. It's impossible. Here again, rather than give an opinion or listen to, to yours about what these things are, I'm going to go to the Word of God. Because your, my opinion doesn't count, your opinion doesn't count. In fact, our opinions ought to be the Word of God. That's what they ought to be, you see. So, does it give us answers? And I think it does. What's the world? Well, 1 John 2, 15 to 17, don't love the world or anything in the world. If anybody loves the world, love for the Father, get this, is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires must pass away, but whoever does the will of the Father lives forever. You know what? Don't tell me there's not pride in here. Don't tell me there's not lust of the eyes in here. Don't tell me there's not lust of the flesh in here. I'm not buying it because I know it is. You know why? Because we're humanity. We're humanity. Basically, John says the world is anything that's contrary to the Father. Friends, look out in the world. Is there anything out there contrary to the Father? Okay? That means anything that doesn't follow the word of God to the Lord. If you really want to get serious about it, a lot of beliefs and practices within the church are actually worldly. And to me, that's awful scary. Take a guess on who's been pushing that practice. That's the second time today we've had to call him out. Okay, we haven't done yet. Tell you the truth, friends. I think all true Christians know exactly what the world is. I think they know what the world is. And if they don't, are they true Christians? No. John says so. John says they are not. But if you tell somebody, well, you know, That's that's not true Christianity. They will get upset, blow off, say, you can't judge me. I know so. They do it. I'm not judging you. I'm judging your practices. God will judge you. God will judge you. I'm judging your practices. Okay. Not only can I, the Bible says I should, and take it right back to the Scripture. That's not what it says. Oh, well, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. So what's unstained? 2 Corinthians 7, 1 and James 4, 4, therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates the body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now we don't want to be an enemy of God. I don't want to be an enemy. Do you want to be an enemy of God? I think this is pretty self-explanatory unstained means we haven't soiled ourselves with the things and practices of this world. Now, some people are messy painters and others aren't. Yeah? I'm a neat painter. I don't put down drop claws when I paint. You know why? Because I've done it my whole life. I did it professionally. I owned a business doing it. Uh, and I know for a fact that pretty brushes are the best brushes in the world. I don't care if you use like Wooster; They're no good. Okay? That's fact. I'm kidding. You can like Wooster if you want. Or you can go, listen, but I'll tell you this. If you go down to Dollar General and buy a paintbrush, you're going to get exactly what you bought. Okay? So, and paint too. If you go, I don't want to upset you, but if you buy paint at Lowe's and Menards, you're going to get what you pay for. Just saying. If you want good paint, you're going to have to get paint that's specifically made to paint. <laughs> Not paint you the wall. And if you get paint that's too thin, what's it going to do? Now, my son is a contractor. He's painted a lot, and he, maybe at one time he didn't know that, but he absolutely knows that today. Am I right, Frank? Okay? Now, I don't care if you go to Sherwin-Williams. I'm not a Sherwin-Williams fan, but there, that's, it's okay paint. It just depends on how you, what kind of paint you like. Uh, you know? Uh, MAB, they used to be made right here in Terre Haute. In my opinion, was the best paint in the world. It's a shame that it got bought out. But here's the fact. If you go to any of the paint stores that actually sell decent paint, you're probably going to do just fine. But here's the thing. Some people, no matter what, how good the paint is or what kind of brush they use, uh, they're messy painters. Yeah? You've seen it. You, who, who in here is a neat painter? Who's a neat painter in here? Okay, who's a messy painter? Oh, my, look at that. Yeah, a messy painter. See, you're going to get that. But here's the thing. You can tell who is and who isn't fairly quickly, right? Give them a paint a can and a brush. You'll find out who's messy and who's neat pretty quick. For most people... Painting and keeping the paint off of your person is pretty difficult, but it can be done. Okay? Anybody wear gloves or put baggies on their hands or bread wrappers when they paint? Who's done that? I just gave you an idea, didn't I? Yeah. Okay? You can do that stuff. And some people do. You know, and the key is don't get the paint passed this far in on your brush. If you get it down on the heel, I guarantee you it's going to run down your hand. It's a fact. And you won't keep your brush for very long either because it gets dried in there and you can't really get ever get it out. You're, you should never have any more, the, not even just under halfway up your brush is the first you should ever get paint on it. Who didn't know that? Just taught you today. Okay? You will be a less messy painter if you do. Yeah, I know the theory is, put more paint on the brush, more paint on the wall, get it done faster. Not true. But here's the thing, okay? You can tell who it is. Careless people are covered in paint, yes or no? Or those that go in a hurry are covered in paint, Yes? The essence of the religion of Christ is not in religious tradition, but in doing good. You understand that? Matthew 2235 35 to 40, in Galatians 6, 9 to 10. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is, is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Let us not become weary in doing good, and at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have an opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Now, the problem here is that we get caught up in loving our neighbor. We think loving our neighbor means accepting their lifestyle. No. Jesus did not accept my sinful lifestyle. He didn't accept yours either, did he? Then neither can we. For me, two verses summed up completely. One, we must love God, and to do that, we have to be obedient. Yeah? We also must love our neighbors as ourselves. The problem is, we don't know what that means. We've misinterpreted what loving our neighbor means. And lastly, we can't grow tired of doing good. Allow me to sum it all up. If we love God, we'll be obedient to His Word, completely and without compromise, which means we have to live life by the Word of God and others And cause others to do the same. You see, loving your neighbors doesn't mean accepting their sinful activity. In fact, it's just the opposite. Okay? If you love a person so much that you're afraid to condemn sinful behavior, you're actually condemning them eternally anyway. Did you hear that? If you refuse to call out sin in their lives, you're condemning them to eternity anyway. Okay? If you really love them, you try to get them to see that their beliefs and activities are separating them from God. And if we do this tirelessly, because if we give up, they're not going to make it. They're not going to make it. To be honest, I think that's the problem. We're so tired of fighting City Hall that we've just give up and let them think whatever they want. We've even stopped stopped voicing the truth. You see, because we're afraid of the rebuke, the fallout, or maybe we're just plain tired. But whatever it is, it's got to change today. It's got to change. You know, friends, when, when we're, we're screwed up sometimes and we do things and it feels like those days like that, people say, you're a hot mess, yeah? Yeah, I'm a hot mess. But you know what? And I think hot mess comes once in a while, just like messy painting. But sooner or later, you've got to get sick of the hot mess you've got to get sick of the messy painting because you, you spend more time cleaning up the mess than you putting paint on a wall. So here's the deal. Why not become a better painter? Why not use tactics, learn from people, and find out how to be better at it? Why not learn not to be a hot mess? Because your life will go a whole lot if you do. You have to be, friends, get this. We have to be specific in our Christianity. Deliberate in our Christianity. We have to know what's true Christianity and what's not. We got to know what stained is and what unstained is. And you know what? We're going to have to know the difference. The Word of God is a standard. There's a standard for everything in life. Sometimes the standards change, but there will always be one. The standard for Christianity is God. Did you hear that? It's the Holy Trinity. God has given us His Word, and His Word is also His Son. This is not in dispute by any Christian, because the Word is God. Okay? This means that whatever God and His Word say, well, this is the standard. The standard for what a Christian life and a Christian belief system is, is gonna to have to be whatever, whatever it is, is what God says it is. You see? And it really doesn't matter what you wanna believe. It doesn't really matter what I wanna believe. I believe what I believe because the Word of God says it. And there's the key. You have to decide in your mind and in your heart that you're gonna believe what the Word of God says and that's the standard. Not believe what you want and try to find scripture to back it up. That doesn't work. But that's what we're doing as Christians. That's what the church is doing. You see, what others say believe, or their feelings are not the standard. (laughs) What people say and their feelings are not the standard. The Word of God is the standard. This means that we can't interpret the Word of God based on what we want it to say, one portion of it, nor what we feel. Because in this regard, our feelings, get this, do not matter. And people get bent out of shape when I tell them that. Friends, our feelings have betrayed us over and over again, and yes, I know that sometimes our feelings make us believe that somehow what we're thinking is right, but that doesn't make it so. It doesn't make it so. And as our worship team comes, listen to this. I realize that everybody wants to believe that God loves humans so much that he wouldn't pass judgment upon them. I know they want to believe that. How many of you know that people want to believe that? Okay? I I know they want to believe that. And you know what, and, and let's say, and they, they want to believe that even if he did, he would never condemn someone to hell. That's what they want to believe. I, I've heard him say it a time and again. Because love wouldn't do that. So let's talk about that for a second. You see, I've got to give you things that you can use. Because I don't want you to go out there and make statements like that and people rebuke you and say, well, you know, talk about love. And then you, got to, you get so flustered, you get on the phone and try to get answers from me. I'd rather you know. I'd rather you know, because, because, you know, I can only take so many calls in the daytime. Plus, you need to practice what you know. And God wants you to know how to deal with those things when people bring them up. But here's the deal. Love wouldn't do that, huh? God wouldn't condemn anyone to hell. Let's talk about it. You see, if that were true, there would be no reason to get saved. There would be no reason to follow God's commands at all. Secondly, if it wasn't going to happen, then why does the Bible say that it's going to happen? Why does the Bible say people are going to hell if it ain't going to happen? Have you ever thought of that? Third, God isn't condemning anyone. I know we want to think that, but He's not. We condemn ourselves, humans condemn themselves. The fact is, the Bible says, we condemn ourselves by virtue of our unbelief and disobedience. And another thing, since when, in any situation, can we do whatever we want with no consequences? Since when? It didn't work that way in my life. Did it work that way in yours? It still doesn't, okay? There are consequences in everything in life. If you don't work, you don't eat. If you break the law, you go to jail. Yes, really like that, <laughs> isn't it? Yes, I know we live in a society that thinks there should be no spiritual consequences. But again, what people want doesn't really matter now, does it? Are there spiritual consequences? Do you believe there are spiritual consequences? Can you prove by the word of God that there are spiritual consequences? Not what you want to think and feel and believe, but what you can prove. That's the answer. That's the question. And that's the answer. And that's the question. And that's the answer. Lastly, we cannot interpret the Word of God based on what we want it to say. You can't pick and choose those parts that you like and then the parts that you don't like. You can't discard those things you don't like. I wish I could, but I cannot. You see, all of it is in agreement, every bit. This means that love will give way to righteousness in the end. The Bible even says that God disciplines those He loves. One time? No. Two times? No. And this is just the ones I could find. Job 5, 1 Corinthians 11, Proverbs 20, Revelation 3, Romans 11, Hebrews 10, Hebrews 12, Proverbs 3, and there are others. All of those say that God disciplines those he loves. There's going to be judgment, and there's going to be consequences. There's a true Christianity, there's a false Christianity. Friends, stand with me, I want to say this to you today. We can be in church whenever the door is open. Are you hearing me? You can be in church whenever the doors open. You can work a mass walks. You can volunteer at the CPC. You can do food pantries, outreach projects, mission trips, you name it. And we do most of those things. You can do all of those things. We can sing, oh, how I love Jesus, or every contemporary song on the radio, and we can still have a false religious belief system. I know that because I observe many today who are doing just that. And the question is, are we obeying the Word of God completely? That's the question. Are we getting caught up with many mainstream Christian ideals and belief systems? Are we running with the majority when they do it? Are we doing good toward others? In other words, is doing good toward others serving them, feeding them, listening to them, and even sometimes patting their backs and telling them how how much you care? Because we're doing a lot of that. Or is it really telling them the truth and urging them to stop their simple practices? That's the key. You can only do so much good that feels good. You really want to do good? Tell them to stop your sinning right now. Turn to Christ. Come to a life with Him now. Because tomorrow may not come. Anybody? Okay. Now, We can't really do that and we won't do it unless we ourselves have kept from becoming stained in the world's ideals or when we become a little stained, realizing it and turning back to Christ. The main question for all of us is this. Is our Christianity pure and is it undefiled or is it worthless? We better get that question answered and pretty quickly because someday real soon, it's absolutely going to matter. Anybody? Today. (laughs) Friends, I, 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 I can't put it more on the line than I did today, I I really can't. And I think sometimes, you know, maybe I say too much, maybe I give you too much to really take in. But the fact of the matter is today, there's a false Christianity and there's a real one, and you better know which one you're in today. And it doesn't matter what the world thinks, it doesn't matter what your friends think, it doesn't matter what churches teach, what does this say? Who's speaking out of here and who isn't? Okay, who's following what's in here and who isn't? That's where you need to be, and you can't know that unless you're in there, okay? Again, it's up to you today. And I'll bet you somebody in here has been following wrong belief systems. I'll bet you somebody in here has been listening to people doing this in their hearts. I'll bet you some people are caught up doing this, that, and the other thing in ministry, but they really haven't stopped the bleeding for somebody who's dying. Listen, these ministries that we do are great, but they're Band-Aids. You understand? Even our food pantry is a Band-Aid. I know people need it, but what we'd rather do, and and Bob will tell you, Laura will tell you, the main aim is to get people attached to Jesus Christ. Yes or no? That's what we're here for. Yes, we want to feed them. Yes, we want to feed our kids. Yes, we want to do things to help people. But in the end, we want to bring them to Christ. Yeah? That's what we have to do.